pray. Dear Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, not only for birthdays, but we thank you for the day that we were born again and for that birthday. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would bless the teaching of your word, pour your spirit upon us, and Lord, may we know you more than we did before this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, tonight I'm going to be taking us through the book of Daniel. Daniel's a very interesting book, like Pastor Mike said. It was written 600 years before Christ was born. It was written in two languages. Tonight we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 8 through 12 was written in Hebrew, and Daniel's chapter 2 through 7 was written in Aramaic. What's interesting about the book of Daniel as well is it's written in three different types of literary form. Part of it is history. We're going to learn a lot about history and the life of Daniel. But also a part of it is in prophecy, speaking of things in the near future, in the far future. And then also a portion of it is written in apocalyptic, uh, specifically end times type uh, prophecy. Of all the books in the Old Testament, probably Daniel receives more criticism because of the accuracy Um, A lot of prophecy was fulfilled in the book of Daniel. As a matter of fact, one chapter, chapter 11, 135 prophecies were fulfilled just in that one chapter. As far as the background of the book of Daniel, long before Daniel's day, there was what Israel was. It was a united kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon. Then something happened and the nation was divided into two. The prophets of God warned of the future judgment against Israel if she did not repent. From her wicked ways. The northern kingdom, known as Israel, was constantly wicked, worshiping idols and forsaking the law of God. Israel did not listen, and God's judgment first came upon this nation in the form of defeat and then in dispersion. And in 722 BC, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, and it was no more. Now, you would have thought that the southern kingdom would have learned from their sister nation. God in his grace gave him 120 more years. And in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered the southern kingdom. So this first chapter is critical to our understanding the entire book of Daniel, providing the historical setting for the book, especially revealing the mindset of Daniel and his three friends. In our text here, Daniel and his friends provide us with a biblical model of submission. Primarily submission to God, but also submission to those in authority. God had to prepare the heart of a particular individual, Daniel and his three friends, in such a special way because he was going to reveal him things that pertain to the future that he did to no one else. Daniel chapter 1 instructs us in holiness, and Daniel and his friends knew how and where to draw the line between what was defiling and what was not. Our text has much to say about this. So we're going to see three main players take the stage in the opening verses. First, there's Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. They represent the world system that is hostile to the people of God. We need to remember that Babylon in the Bible was always, with no exception, a symbol for evil and for paganism. What started in the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 ends in a climax in Revelation 17 and 18 where the entire world system is finally destroyed at the second coming of Christ. Second, there's Daniel and his three friends. They represent the believer in the world, striving to obey God in the midst of much spiritual opposition. 
And then finally, there's the sovereign Lord who leaves his children in the world, yet purposes to bring them to safety and glory in the end. You know, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about compromise. And we live in a world that's been compromised. From the time I was born till I stand in front of you today, the world has been compromised at an accelerated rate. And I'm, I'm shocked to see the things I, I see, but I know God's on the throne. And sometimes our faith can feel like an inconvenience in this world. Sometimes it can place us in very inconvenient situations. It can put us at odds with those around us. And if you feel comfortable in this world, if you feel like this world is home and this is the greatest place in sliced bread, I like to say two things. Number one, God has something way better for us than what's here. And number two, maybe you need to question your faith because the Bible says that we're supposed to be in the world and not of it. Sometimes our faith can feel like an inconvenience when our boss tells us to lie or to steal to keep our job. Sometimes our faith can feel like an inconvenience when we work around those that have a foul language or into things that are inappropriate and like to brag about them. Sometimes our faith can feel like an inconvenience when it's Christmas time and the cashier gives us back more money than they're supposed to and we can't even afford the gifts we're buying, let alone paying our bills that month. How we respond to times like this will determine the quality of our walk with God. Jesus best described this state in his prayer to the Father in John chapter 17. He said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we need to remember that this world is not our home. We are aliens to this world because this is not what God originally had for us. We are strangers to this world because they do not understand our values or our world view. We must never forget that our home and our alliance is in heaven. Daniel worked in a land that was hostile to the faith that he had. His bosses were some of the most powerful, ruthless, egotistical, evil men in all ancient history. And by the grace of God, he was able to find favor and he was able to stand his ground and not compromise. To contradict these men would mean death. The book of Daniel is a record of many times Daniel's faith placed him in inconvenient and uncomfortable circumstances where the odds were the highest. It was an atmosphere that Daniel stood firm with a non-negotiable faith. He knew what it meant to have his faith put him in some inconvenient places. His faith would put him in front of one of the kings that wanted an interpretation of a dream or he would lose his head. His faith would put him in a den of lions. His faith would put him in one of the biggest parties in front of a wicked king reading the judgment of God literally off the wall. The three Hebrew children's faith would put them in a fiery furnace. Daniel teaches us that living with a non-negotiable faith is a matter of serious, subtle, sometimes large, and sometimes small choices. No one could blame Daniel if he ate the king's food. It came out of the king's hand, right? No one could have blamed him for putting his prayer life on hold for just 30 days. Faithfulness to this devotion meant the lion's den, or being made into kitty chow, (laughs) 
No one would have blamed Daniel and the three children in chapter 3 of just bowing down one time. What many believers see as an exception to the rules, these men saw as non-negotiable. It was not the big decisions that determine the quality of your faith. Sometimes it's just the simple little ones that you know very well. Everywhere we look, we are confronted with the spirit of this age. We hear things like, if it feels good, do it. Believe in anything you want, just keep it to yourself. A twisted view of tolerance is our main virtue. The only sin is intolerance. Blasphemies in, reverence is out. That's what the world says. So tonight I want to talk about how we see Daniel stand in the midst of this wicked, pagan society, and he was able to conquer compromise. He stood his ground, and men of God, women of God that are sold out for Christ, nothing can move them. The world, Satan, the flesh, these men and women, they're sold out. Their life is not their own, and they lay their down, their life down for Christ. So our text tonight is about four men who came to a time of decision in their life where they could either compromise or go with the flow, or they could stand their ground and live for the Lord. The circumstances they face and the decisions they made set the course for the rest of their life. As you and I go through life, there will always be times when we're going to have to make decisions to do the right thing. And when these times come, and they most certainly will, We can decide either to go with God despite the cost or we can choose to compromise. So the first thing we see here in the first seven verses is the problems at hand. These Hebrew boys, they face several problems. The problems they face were unique, yet they were not different from those we face in our world Standing our ground. You know, you think of how wicked the world is and how evil it is. I bet you Daniel had it just as bad, if not worse. We have the whole Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. There's still the life of the believer in the church today. There's still some Christians somewhere. Everywhere we go, we bump into it. Daniel went into a place that was totally dark. He was the only, well, him and his three companions were the only people the Bible records that had a faith and they weren't afraid to share it. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. You know, everybody likes new. We always like new. When something's brand new, it, it kind of brings us back. If it's like Brandon shared, a, a new member of the family. If it's a, a, a get being married and, and having your new spouse. If it's a, your first home, a new home, new for you, a new car. We're obsessed with things that are new. We even buy this thing that's called an air freshener and it smells like glue and carpet and plastic. <laughs> and we put it in our car and we go, oh, the smell of new. But, but sometimes new isn't always better. And these three boys, with, including Daniel, were taken out of everything they knew that was familiar, and it was brand new, and it was wrong. They lived their whole life in this Jewish bubble, and now because of their nation, because they forsaked God, because they worshipped idols and they wanted to be like all the other nations, God was going to punish the whole nation, 
And now he, he allows the, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, to be taken into Babylon. So these boys had been brought up in and around Jerusalem, and they were constantly reminded of their God and of his importance to their life. The temple and the sacrifices were there. The priest and the scribes were teaching there. The prophets were preaching the message of Jehovah. It'd be like our church being taken away. Now they're slaves, and they've been hauled off to Babylon. And here they're surrounded by heathen worship, heathen people, and heathen images. Everything that they've been guarded and protected of, now it's in their face, and it's basically you know, pushed upon them where they don't have a choice. Now it would be easy to conform just to fit in. And we know how that is. Sometimes when we go to a new place, especially us men, that you know, when we go into a, maybe a new job and you're in the world, and sometimes you know, you just, you know, you're told just to keep your mouth shut and, and do your job, and, and you're exposed to all these things and you see these things going around. And you know, as believers, it's easy to be spiritual in the church. It's easy to be godly around godly people. But we, when we go out into the world, then it's easy to compromise. And we need to remember. We need to be prayed up. We need to have our spiritual armor on. We need to know the word of God like we know our our own conscience. So when we're exposed to these things, we can rely and fall back on those things. It's important that we consistently have our church attendance. In Hebrews 10.25, it reminds us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's so important that when two or more are gathered in his name and all the gifts flow and we strengthen and bless each other and we also share our struggles, there's nothing like it. Unless we surround ourselves with godly people, we know that bad company corrupts. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, evil company corrupts good habits. It's easy to compromise and conform with the world when we are away from the influence of godliness. Verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So now they're exposed in verses 3 and 4 to a new knowledge. And this was a privileged position that, you know, when you keep in context that here they were taken out of their homeland and when they were taken out, they, they weren't treated very nice. Uh, you know, lots of people probably died. There, matter of fact, there was three sieges that took place. This is the first one. The next two got worse and worse and, and the people were tortured and abused. But they, because they were taken and they were the cream of the crop, they were given this special privilege. So it was an honor in a sense and we can see how God's hand was upon these four young men. These young men, they were taught a new language and a new way of looking at life. All their lives, they've been exposed to Jewish wisdom. Now they're being taught the wisdom of Babylon, and they're being exposed to things they've never been exposed before. It was a dangerous time for them. There was much pressure being, being put on them to conform to the new world around them. And we know that we find that we're faced with dangers today as believers. That, uh, you know, we see a lot of things that are changing and changing rapidly. And we're forced to, um, you know, be called on the spot. We're constantly being exposed to new ways of thinking. And being told that the way we look at life through the eyes of the Bible is outdated, is ancient, and is intolerant. We know that when our kids go away to school, they come back. And all of a sudden, everything we've told them uh, doesn't make sense. And they feel like they, they know something we don't know. 
um, and, and, and it's sad. There's so much pressure being placed on the Christian community to conform to the world's way of thinking. We're told that we're supposed to accept alternative lifestyles. Alcohol and drug use is just part of being social. Uh, cursing is, and promiscuous activity is just normal. And we know it's not normal. God has never changed his mind. What he said thousands of years ago is still the same today. God's truth stands the test of time. It doesn't matter what people think or say. It doesn't matter where the entire world stands. God's word is sure. It is settled and it is right. In Psalm 119.89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And in Isaiah 48, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. So we need to remember that. And that's why it's so important that we know God's word. So when we're confronted with those things, we know right away that it's not truth. And just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. Sometimes everybody can be wrong, a lot of times. Verse 5. Then the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they may serve before the king. So in verse 5 we see now a new diet. And now, once again, they could have been fed bread and water. They were in a privileged place, and they were eating from the very table of the king. But according to their faith, some of these foods, because they were brought before idols, they could not eat. And so they did not want to defile themselves. And they wouldn't. Therefore, it would have been easy for these men to be defiled and make them unclean before the Lord. And today as Christians, we too face a lot of choices. We run um, in places where uh, we have to make a decision And it's not so much losing your salvation. It has to do with how close and how strong do I want my relationship with God? Do I want to compromise and do certain things that maybe, maybe it's legal. Maybe maybe God's word doesn't say you can't do certain things. But will these particular things take away from my intimacy with God? Will they draw me closer or will they draw me farther away? We have to make decisions about the choice of entertainment we Uh, partake. We have to make choices about the music we listen to and the philosophy behind it. We have to make choices about the personal relationships that we have. We are confronted daily by choices to either do or not do certain things that may cause us to be defiled. Now, if we're saved, we know nothing can change that. We're saved by grace. That's not what we're talking about. But the choices I make in life can either build me up or tear me down as a servant of God. Although I may not lose my salvation, I can become defiled, and God can put me on the shelf. And as a believer, that's probably the biggest disgrace that can happen to us once we know the truth and have accepted, is to be put on the shelf. Don't we want God's best? You know, I remember a long time ago, and I I know this is not what heaven's going to be like, but it was an illustration, and it always reminded me. You'd be up in heaven, and there'd be two screens, and God would be there and be like, this is your life. And he would show you all the things that went on in your life and how God was there and all those times when you could have died or got in trouble. And then God shows you the other screen. But this is what I had for you, and this is what you missed. And and I always thought, wow, that would be such a disappointment. But we do have uh, God's word and his Holy Spirit, so we're without excuse. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, it says, We are to discipline our body and bring it into subjection so that we do not become disqualified. Therefore, it's extremely important 
that we consistently guard ourselves in this matter and we take into what we take into our lives. Now, we know King David. David was a man after God's own heart and we know a lot about David. He made some really good choices and he made some really bad choices. But all in all, he, you know, was a man after God's own heart. When he sinned, he went, he went repented, got right with God, and then he tried to do the right thing. And there's uh, two things that I want to stress that he said in Psalm 101.3. The first thing was, he says, I will put nothing wicked before my eyes. Now, I, I think when we were in uh, Chronicles, uh, Brandon mentioned that, you know, the eyes are one of the, you know, our five senses and one of the, the gates to our heart. And so the things that we put before our eyes can affect our heart and can ultimately, uh, uh, in long term, uh, you know, turn into a, a vice and a habit and, 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 and ruin our walk with God. So we need to be careful what we put before us because we know that it can defile us. And then the second part of the verse, it says, I hate the works of those who fall away. And I was thinking, you know, how many of us do, do we know that w- at one time we had a really good relationship with different people since we've been saved, and for whatever reason, they kind of fell away or walked away from God? And, you know, there's nothing that breaks our heart more to see somebody depart from what they knew was true. They were walking in the Lord. They were pillars in the church. They were doing all kinds of incredible things. God was working through them as his instrument. God was using them. And then for whatever reason, they just kind of drifted off. And you know what, what happens? It starts with compromise. Show me a man or woman who's walked away from the Lord and you can see that there was an, a time in their life where a thought or something came before them and they thought, hmm. And all of a sudden they kind of meditated on that thought and then that got a hold of them and then eventually they compromised and walked away from the Lord. But these men, they were made of something different. They were sold out for the Lord. And in verse 6, it says, Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave the name Daniel, Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, there's interesting um, the thing about names. We love to hear our name called out when someone knows our name it makes us feel important it makes us think um, they care and when we name our children we don't do the same thing that they did back in biblical times in biblical times they gave them names that had something to do with their faith or with god or or a particular situation that was going on in their lives and they named them for a specific reason we tend to give names in a more generic sense because it kind of rhymes with our last name or we get some kind of flow with all the kids But they were given a new name. And this new name was not to honor them. It was to dishonor their God. It was was another layer of stripping away of who they were and their culture and their background so they would forget where they came from and it'd be easier for them to embrace this new life. And so when these young men arrived in Babylon, they carried wonderful names. Each name carried with it a testimony to the person of God. Daniel's name was God is my judge. Hananiah is God is gracious. Mishael is God is without equal. And Azariah, the Lord is my helper. When they arrived in Babylon, they were given new names. Daniel's name now becomes Belteshazzar, which means, and these names are after the pagan gods that the Babylonians worship, Bel will protect. Hananiah became Shadrach, which means inspiration of the sun. Mishael became Meshach, which means 
belonged to Aku. And Azariah became Abednego, which means servant of Nego. So Nebuchadnezzar's goal was to change their identity and hopefully their way of thinking. However, it is plain to see as one reads the book of Daniel that even though their names were changed, their character remained intact. We know that the world and the devil will use every tactic to try to shape us and mold us into what they feel the image of man is. Ever since man fell, instead of worshiping God and the image of God, we end up worshiping man or the image of man. But these men, no matter what they were called, no matter what they did to them, no matter what was thrown at them, they would never change because their eyes were focused on the Lord. They were truly godly men. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As we journey through life, we're going to go through constant, uh, we're going to be exposed by constant attempts by the enemy um, to try to get us to let us, let our guard down, to try to get us to think a different way, to try to get us to embrace different things that we know that is not right. However, during these times of testing and trial, we can weather safely and be secure because God has promised to help us even when we're faced during times of testing. Now, God does allow us to be tested. God never allows us to be tempted. I mean, he will, he will allow us to be tempted, but God never tempts us. He'll allow us to go through something so that we will be stronger in the end. They're there to build us up, to show us who we are and how much more we need to depend upon God than we think we do. And then God will always get us through if, if we allow him to. The devil, he will try to tempt us so he can break us down, so he can do what he does best to kill, steal, and destroy our faith. But we do have a promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13. And it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to men. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And then we also have Jesus. And Jesus, when he came to the earth, he became a man. And, you know, there's a lot of things we don't fully understand. I'm teaching the book of Luke this semester, and I'm learning all kinds of great things I, I, I didn't know, you know. And that's how God's word is. It, it's always teaching you. It's always building you up and showing you more and more things. And what's interesting is Jesus' uh, title uh, that he used more than any other title was the Son of Man because he was fully God and fully man. And the Jews understood that title and what that meant. And the Gospel of Matthew it's mentioned the Son of Man 31 times. And in Hebrews 4.15, it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. So looking at the stand these four men made that they took in Babylon, we see that they were strong. But they came to a crossroad in their life, and they came to actually many crossroads. And here was this major crossroad was their diet. If they, would, if they would compromise in this one area, it would open up the door to compromise in several areas. And God wanted to use these men in a special way because he was going to reveal a special knowledge, a special revelation that he never revealed to anyone ever before at this time. 
So in verses 8 through 16, we're going to see the purpose of heart. We're going to see that they had to make this decision. And this decision was the turning point and probably the key to chapter 1. And it says in verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drunk. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So in verse 8, we see their dedication. The Babylonians could change their home, could change their diet, could change their name, could change their education, could change everything in their life. But one thing he could not touch was their hearts because their heart was in the hand of God. These men decided that they were going to serve the Lord whatever the cost. It would have been easy to say, oh, we'll just obey the king outwardly, but we'll just keep our faith to ourselves. These options weren't good enough for these men. They were willing to commit themselves to God's will despite the consequences. As Christians today, we need that same level of commitment. We need to be determined that we're not going to allow the world to change us who we are. You know, if the movies get real bad, we're not going to go see the movies. TV gets real bad, you know what? We don't need a TV. You know, whatever's out there, we don't need those things. And the world is slowly pushing it, pushing it, and pushing it. But you know what? The power... God has given us the power and the authority to not only say yes to the things of this life, but he's also given us the power and authority to say no. So many of us would find it too easy to give in to compromise. We need to dedicate ourselves to God and his plan for our lives, even if it costs our lives and what's even worse in our lives, our livelihood. You know, some of us can say, well, I can die for the Lord if I have to. You know, we, you know, we don't know until we're put in that predicament. But sometimes it's harder to live for something than to die, but we should be ready to do both, whatever it takes. Our duty is to serve the Lord with all we have, and the details are God's problems. In Romans 12, it says, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And only the word of God and the Holy Spirit can do that. And so we do have the ability to stand for truth, to be righteous so people can look at us and say, there's a man of God, there's a woman of God, because they can see how we live and they can see by the choices we make. And, when, and they can also see us when we go through the seasons of life. All of us go through different seasons. We go through the same seasons the world goes through. We're going to have disappointment. Death is going to come knocking on the door. Um, you know, There's going to be hardship. There's going to be financial issues. But it's how we deal with them is when the world looks at us. And, um, and can embrace our testimony even in a higher level. Verse 9. Now God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the servant, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servant. So he consented with them in this manner and tested them for ten days. So in verses 9 to 14, we see their desire. And you know, just eating vegetables and drinking water isn't going to make you healthy. 
what happened here was something supernatural. This was God was going to do something and allow these men to glow because of their obedience. When we stand our ground for God and we choose not to compromise and we choose to honor him in his namesake, God will honor those who honor me, he says in his word. So these men, they knew they would be fed defiled foods and therefore they requested to be allowed to eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. And God honored their faith and he blessed them. And you know, sometimes when we stand our ground for God, it's not always the easiest thing to do. Sometimes the people around us, even our brothers and sisters, may not always receive when we make a kind of a stand like that. But God has allowed certain things in our lives and he's given us certain graces and certain privileges and liberties that for some of us, they're liberties and some of them, they're not liberties. And some of those liberties, if we want to bless God in a special way and say, God, I know there's nothing I can do for you. I know that, you know, I'm saved by grace and you do everything. But there's this one thing I just want to give up, just to give up for you. Just so I just want to bless you. And, you know, God will do something amazing in your life if God choose, if you choose to do something like that. Now, don't expect to get something in return for that. Do something like that because you want to just be closer to God. And I guarantee you, God will not be disappointed. In Matthew 6, it says, But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The whole point of this section of the text is that these young men made up their mind, and they were not going, or they were going to live for the Lord, and they were not going to allow nothing to change them or turn them for the, from their purposes. And so we need to ask ourselves do we have that same kind of a commitment? Do we love the Lord? Are we willing to lay everything we have down and serve the Lord. And you know, all of us aren't there. We're all striving and, 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 and you know, we're all a, a work in construction. Some of us are a little more mature over here. Some of us are still have some work over there and vice versa. But the whole point is we should be using everything in our lives. If we're living in the last days and like Pastor Mike read us that little text before service. You know, those are things that shouldn't scare us. They should encourage us that, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure that my money, uh, my time, my energy, I'm going to do as much as I can to be close to the Lord and tell others about him. And, and that's what we need to do. We need, this is not the time to compromise and go, you know, I'm going to have one foot in, in the church and I'm going to have just maybe a couple toes in the world, you know, because I want to have fun. You know, this is not the time. We are not the generation to be dabbling with things like that. We need to be careful with our speech and the way we dress and in our lifestyle. Daniel and his three friends, friends had decided in their heart that they would rather die than compromise with the world, the flesh, or the devil. I remember, um, I've heard this twice, uh, a men's conference and uh, a pastor's conference. I like to collect audio teaching on, on different ones. Raul Reese said something really cool, and he was saying it in a, in a really special way. He was saying, and he was talking to the men, and he said, men, you know, and he, he was encouraging them to walk strong and not compromise and don't get tangled up in the world, and whatever you do, don't disgrace the name of God because you, you sin or fall. And he, and he, and he, and he said, made this quote, and he said, God, if I get to a place where I compromise your name or the name of the church or what a Christian's supposed to represent, kill me. Take my life now, please. And, and we should kind of have that attitude like, Lord, if I ever get to that place where I'm, I'm going to misrepresent you or your name, Lord, please take my life 
you know, or, or shake up my world to a point where I will be so miserable that I will come running back into your arms. Um, you know, that kind of a commitment is, is a kind of commitment that we need. There may be some tonight, maybe who've let their guard down. And maybe there's some compromise in your life. Maybe there's some issues going on in your heart or mind and you kind of the enemy's lying to you and you're believing that, that, that kind of old saying like, yeah, I remember the good old days and I remember this or that, you know. And you forget what you've been delivered from, you know, from headache and sorrow and pain and depression and all these crazy things. And you need, you need to, you know, you, you need to die to those things. Some people are flirting dangerously close to, to that fine line where, where, you know, if I do this, can, can I still go to heaven? If I do this, uh, will I still be a believer? Those are things that we need to um, be careful of. You can say that these four men, if you could sum up two words, they were men of faith and men of obedience. And that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be men and women of faith Believe in God, believe in his word. Even when we don't understand something we read, if God said it, just believe it, embrace it, claim it as your promise and say, God, I'm going to stand on it and I know that this is truth and you're going you're to show me how you want to apply that to my life when you see fit. And then, Lord, I may not know everything in your word, but I'm going to be obedient to the things I do know. I'm not going to worry about what I don't know. Man, there's so many things I don't know. But God has given us an abundance of what we do know and those are the things we need to stand on. These men, they were willing to trust God and to do what he had promised. And they were willing to follow him regardless of the personal cost. Now, in verses 15 to 21, these men were obedient. They stood their ground. And now they get a promotion from God. And all true promotions come from heaven. We should not strive to get promotions in this world. There's nothing wrong with promotions in this world if God is before you. But we should not strive on the temporal things. These men were striving on the eternal things. And now we see here God blessing them. In verse 15 it says, At the end of the ten days, their features appeared bigger and fatter in the flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away the portion of the delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So in verses 15 and 16, we see their experience. Daniel's experiment worked. God honored his word, and these men were healthier than the others. These four men knew something that many of us forget, and that is God will never fail us. God said he would never leave us or forsake us. And we st- when we make a stand for him, God is going to bless us. It may not be what you expect, but God will do something miraculous in your life. God will always be absolutely faithful to honor his word and his servants who trust the word and do what he says. Verse 17. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all manners of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were in all his realm. So now in 17 to 20, we see their excellence. After three years, they stood before the king. Now this was a privilege. They were going to be able to serve in his court. And when the king interviewed them, he, he said that he found them ten times wiser than all his wise men in his kingdom. And here again, this reminds us that God honors those who honor him. 
He uses us here and now if we will serve him as we should. The key is never to compromise, even in the smallest areas of life. And in verse 21, Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel served in two kingdoms. He served in the Babylonian kingdom, and he was in a place of honor and privilege and prominence, and also in the Medo-Persian Empire, which was the second empire that conquered Babylon. In verse 21, we see their endurance. We're not told how long Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived and served in Babylon, but we know Daniel served there 70 years, and he was in his 90s when he was thrown in the lion's den. This should encourage us and remind us that no matter how long we live, Or where we go, if we will always seek to honor the Lord, he will consistently bless us and he will use us for his glory. God is looking for vessels, vessels that he can use for honor, that he can pour himself into and then use us to be poured out to bless others. But the key is we need to be clean. We need to be not guilty of compromise. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, But in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be used as a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. God's house is filled with all kinds of vessels, some for honor and some for dishonor. The question is, how would we describe our life? Or how would we want our life to be described? So, Let's think of some applications. The first principle that it would help us to live in this world without becoming like this world is sometimes you have to go against the flow. Just because everybody's doing one thing and just because that's the majority, sometimes the majority is wrong. Daniel and his friends could have easily chosen to take the path of least resistance and ate the king's food. They were in a foreign country. I'm sure the pork chops and and some of the food smelled really good from the grill, but you know something? It wasn't worth it. God had something better for for them, and they knew it. I like that one verse. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know, as parents, it's so important that our kids see us do what we say and not... um, you know, that we, we walk the talk. We just don't say, do as I told you, but do as I, I show in an example. The next principle that will help us to live in this world without becoming like the world is sometimes you have to stand for what is right. You know, if, if we, if, if, as we see the world slowly becoming less and less Christian and embracing more and more paganism and all these different kinds of evils and stuff, all we have to do is sit back and watch it happen and it will happen. But we need to do what we can do. The decision to refuse the king's food was not easy for these young men. After all, they were in no position to bargain or resist. They were in no place to even do what they did. But by faith in God, uh, Daniel and his three friends stood up to the steward. And for some reason, because God found favor and because they were obedient and God knew their heart, uh, the steward's heart was touched by Daniel and he showed him a little bit of grace and he didn't have to. We falsely assume that in order for us to get ahead in this world or to be accepted, we believe in this lie that we have to compromise our morals and values. Well, you know, I, I might lose my job or I might this or I might that. And so we, we believe this lie and that's not true. And, and if God does want to move us on, you know, he'll have something better for us. John and Peter had this problem. In Acts chapter 5, they were going around and they were... The Holy Spirit came upon the church and they were proclaiming their faith and they had an encounter with the religious leaders. And basically they were told to be quiet. And it says here, 
So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have heard and seen. The third principle that will help us to live in this world without becoming like this world is sometimes you have to exercise your faith. These men didn't just do this and hope that they were lucky enough to get away with it. They were trusting in God for the outcome. They were saying, God, I'm going to stand on your word and I know, God, you're going to act on your word. And, if, and, and, and they were believing that God would spare them and if God didn't, they were believing that, well, God, guess what? I guess we're just going to spend a lot of intimate time with you up in heaven. And, you know, the, sometimes we wonder, like, why does God allow this person to live and this person to die? And why does this person get away with something good or bad and this person don't? But, you know, the ultimate goal is heaven. So when God takes somebody home in their prime, what a blessing. No more pain, no more suffering, you know, all the bliss of heaven. So these men, they stood their ground and they knew God would meet them where they're at. God is not going to leave one of them who stands for him out there dangling. Problem with us in the world is too many of us have what they call uh, couch potato faith. We think, I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm just going to sit there. And when, when, the, when the seat starts to vibrate and I start to feel the, the, you know, the tingling, then I know it's God and, and God's going God's gonna to act and, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be obedient and, and do it. And that's usually how God doesn't work. God wants us to just do what we know. Don't worry about what we don't know. Take what we do know and, and, and do something with it. Stand on it in faith, and then the feelings come. That's how God wants us to work. So why do we study the book of Daniel? Well, for a couple, three reasons. Daniel's situation parallels to our own. Most of his life, Daniel lived as part of a believing minority in a majority pagan culture. That's what we are. This world's not our home, and we should feel like it's not our home more and more each day. That's a good thing. From the time he served as a teenager until he died, he served under several pagan kings. He never had the luxury of living in a country surrounded by people who believed as he did. From his story, we draw many useful principles as we attempt to live for Christ in a world filled with people who do not share our faith. Another thing why we study the book of Daniel is we believe some of these prophecies could be coming Uh, true soon in our lives they could soon be fulfilled the book is filled with dreams and visions and about the near future and the far future and the end of the age lastly reason why we study the book of daniel is daniel's god is our god too and we need to remember that regardless of what's going on in the world god is still on the throne he knows exactly what he's doing sometimes we say oh the world's going out of control everything's going down the tubes And you know something? It's all in God's hands. It's going exactly the way he said it would go. And he's in charge. Some important lessons we need to remember. Um, God is in control. He's in charge of our families. He's in charge of individuals. He's in charge of the nature. He's in charge of the past, the present, and the future. He's in charge of the good times and the bad times. He's in charge when a child is born. And he's in charge when death knocks at your door. Studying the book of Daniel ought to increase our confidence in the sovereignty of God who makes no mistakes. One of the main themes in the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God. God is on the throne, and we need to remember that. I want to read you a quote about character. Greatness of character is frequently shaped in circumstances that look anything but promising. Greatness doesn't happen as you sit and dream about greatness. It must be formed in real life history. And frequently it has to be formed in difficult circumstances. 
I want to read you this little uh, story about a redwood tree in, in my closing. It says, A giant 400 redwood tree came crashing down one day. Nobody could figure out why. The tree had survived four centuries of storms, lightning, and earthquakes. But what made it fall? On closer inspection, the the investigators found these teeny little bark beetles that found their way inside the tree, and they began eating from it from the inside out, uh, breaking down the fibers and uh, weakening it from the inside out. In much the same way, the devil tries to bring Christians down through a steady drum of small, seemingly insignificant temptations. While we are fighting and resisting him in one area, he may be setting up house in another area of our lives. Satan will always find ways to creep into our lives for the purpose of eroding our foundation until our fibers become undone and we come crashing down to the ground. Show me a person who has fallen away from the Lord and I'll show you a person who started making compromise in his life a long time ago. Are we in an area in our lives where we've begun to let our guard down? Are we allowing things in our life that used to be that we know were wrong? If we've begun the downward spiral of compromise, there's good news. Jesus allows U-turns. He has promised us that we can have unconditional forgiveness when we come home to him. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God loves U-turns. So if the little beetles of compromise are whittling away at our walk with God, then we need to come back home and allow the Lord to put us back where he wants us to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the book of Daniel. Lord, we thank you that it was real, Lord, that these were just men, simple men, just like we are, men and women that love you. And Lord, even though we're maybe in difficult circumstances and even though the world around us may seem like it's spinning around, Lord, we know you're on the throne and you promised us in your word to give us strength, to be able to stand our ground, to be able to represent you and never to defile your name or our name as being a Christian. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us all, Lord. Help us to walk in these things. Help us to stand our ground. Help us not to believe the lies of the enemies. And Lord, thank you for reminding us that you're on the throne. So Lord, bless this evening and thank you once again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.